0: Let me invite you to stand now at this time and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, and we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Simple Gifts is our theme for Advent, and I want you to celebrate the gift of the Savior uh, this season, and we'll do that through some Old Testament prophecies beginning here in Isaiah chapter 9 and we'll look at the gift of joy that all of our joy would be renewed refreshed restored so i'll read to you isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the latter time For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the good news of the gospel and the beauty of what it means to us to have a Savior we pray that you would restore our joy that the circumstances of life and the situation in our society and culture would not crowd out the good news of christmas that jesus has come show us that today through this text we ask in christ's name amen you may be seated in june of last year so you remember what was going on in last year in june of last year citizens of the united states in a survey our happiness level hit a 50 year low 50 year low in other words they've been doing this survey for 50 years since 1972 and they conduct this survey Every other year, measuring the happiness of U.S. citizens, and last year, it hit a low. And you may think to yourself, hey, I was living that, so I remember that. But 14% of adults in this survey, 14% reported last year being, quote, very happy. So, we know 14% of people were lying when they took that survey. You may still feel some of the effects of that last year. You may feel somewhat gloomy, maybe even depressed, as a result of either last year or of your circumstances this year. It could be a gloominess that sort of sneaks up on you, maybe just because of your life stage, or it could be because of factors in our world or society or relationships in your life. There's lots of sources for why our joy might be less now than it was some time ago. Now, the question is, how do we recapture that joy That happiness? Is it possible even to increase your joy? I have good news for you. Oprah has an article (laughs) and it's entitled Exactly How to Find Joy Today and Every Day. So I read this on the internet, so it's true. (laughs) And that article gives and i know you're thankful for this 13 ways to increase your joy now i'm not going to read all 13 to you but i just want to tell you that we're not going to charge the gates of hell with these 13 things and see our joy restored what are the thir- some of the 13 things striking up conversations with strangers another one painting your home buying house plants brings joy clearing your mind i'm not sure what that means or how to restore your joy be kinder to people now i read those and i think to myself really is that all we have to restore our joy i'm terrible at keeping house plants And most likely they'll end up dying, which will not increase my joy. But exactly how to find your joy today and every day, I'm led to these consumeristic practices, and those are somehow supposed to deal with the difficult things in my life. That just doesn't give me a lot of hope. And I want you to know the Bible has a different way. That all of us at times struggle with the gloominess of what it is to live in a fallen world. And there's a much better way to have joy than taking care of houseplants. And so I want to tell you at the outset that in Christ, he has given us the gift of joy. How? How do we arrive at this? the gift of joy and embracing the gift of joy in the gospel through christ and the first you'll see there's an outline in your bulletin and the first point i want to make it's in the first three verses and that's we can have joy because of the light because of the light now a little background here for isaiah Isaiah is a longer book of the old testament and it is the prosecution's case against israel this is god's case against israel what they have done wrong and how he will bring judgment to them now that is a depressing subject however interspersed many times in isaiah and isaiah 9 is one of these examples you have a message of hope that carries israel through this terrible judgment and points to salvation in jesus christ so with that context let's look at how we can have joy because of the light look in verse one we read this there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish this is a wonderful statement of good news that the gloom will be dealt with that we will be brought out of this gloom now who is the one that is in anguish if you look up in the context here chapter 8 verse 19 we read this how are god's people conducting themselves back in isaiah's time look at uh, isaiah 8 19 and when they say to you inquire of mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter should not a people inquire of their god so they were turning their back on god and instead seeking answers elsewhere isaiah 8 9 should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living and this shows you that god's people have walked away from the guidance that god gives them and as a result they have found themselves subject to god's judgment but we're told here the good news in verse one there'll be no more gloom for those who are in anguish and then we go on reading in the former time he god brought into contempt he judged the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali now those are the northern regions of Israel where Assyria would eventually invade. Isaiah is a book that depicts the judgment of God coming to Israel from the nation of Assyria who was raised up against them. And you'll notice here in this passage, tenses, the, the you know, remember tenses, past, present, future. They're somewhat conflated and confused, because Isaiah is making a future prophecy but he talks about that prophecy in the past tense and this shows us that he is so confident in the result and what God will do and what he has promised and how God is faithful to his covenant to carry out that which he has said he would that Isaiah can write about it as if it has already happened and so we read there in the former time god would and did judge the land of zebulun and the land of naphtali but in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the jordan galilee of the nations now god is making a way and that way is a way of light the way of salvation and this will come to us so even though god's judgment will come he has still made a way now we know that way comes to us through christ he has made a way and that way is not just for israelites but it is for the land beyond the jordan and the hope that we have in salvation in christ is for galilee of the nations now this phrase galilee of the nations galilee which is part of israel of the nations the gentiles shows us that the gospel message will move out to the entire world so this would be similar and i made this reference in the early uh, service and i got away with it so i'll do it now this would be like saying the alamo of california those two things don't go together because the alamos in texas but the galilee of the nations, this is a hopeful statement of the triumph of God's kingdom, his word, and his grace, as far as the curse is found. And so this would get an Israelite's attention, knowing of the impending judgment that was coming through the nation of Assyria, right, Assyria, rightfully so. But God has made a way and that way is the great light and that's talked about here in verse two the people who walked in darkness now that was the people that i read to you early about the people in isaiah eight nineteen who had turned their back on god and sought guidance elsewhere the people who walked in darkness what has happened to them they have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. And the Bible uses the portrayal of light and darkness to contrast the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. And this contrast is carried forward you might think of John chapter 8 verse 12. John chapter 8 verse 12 connects to Isaiah 9:2. John 8:12 Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Walking in darkness, this idea of walking away from the way that God has called us to, or rejecting Christ, this is walking in darkness. But what has happened? The light has shone. Christ has come. He is the light of the world. Paul in Ephesians 4.18 also uses this contrast of darkness and light. Ephesians 4.18 reads this way, "...they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart." So part of the joy we have is in the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, that He has paid the penalty for our sins, that He has taken care of the judgment... In some ways, the whole account of Isaiah points to and is is emblematic of the salvation we have in Christ. Judgment has come upon us, been leveled upon us, just like Assyria has risen up. So we are subject to the consequences of our own sin and our decisions. However, that judgment having come has fallen on Christ, and God still is faithful to his people and has redeemed us through the sacrifice of jesus christ and so we have joy because the light has come there is a way of salvation for us and it is on those who have dwelt in deep darkness verse 2 on them light has shown there is always hope there is always hope for those who have wandered into darkness and the first part of verse 3 states you have multiplied the nation in other words God has caused the nation to increase and notice again this is in past tense God has multiplied the nation but we know the nation the true Israel as described in Romans 9 6 through 8 the israel that believed god like abraham did in romans 4:3, believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness coming to god by faith makes us part of the true israel and by so doing god has fulfilled this prophecy he has multiplied the nation and what has he done increased its joy the source of joy is our salvation in jesus christ it is something that cannot ever be taken away from us it is the light that has come into the world and nothing can stop that light we read in john chapter 1 verse 5 in him was life and the life was the light of men the light has come into the world the light shines in the darkness and what the darkness cannot overcome it. Nothing can overcome our salvation or the reality of Christ's advent into the world, the way of salvation. Now, this kind of contrast between darkness and light is something that's difficult for us to understand because we don't live in the ancient world. We don't understand necessarily what it is to really have darkness. In fact, the city of burning has an ordinance about dark skies trying to maintain darkness and let me tell you it's complicated we have to look at it for these uh, light poles down here on the life center but we live in a world that wants to maintain that darkness for a rural community so we don't necessarily understand this contrast between light and darkness But someone in the ancient world, this wouldn't have been lost on them because they didn't have electricity. And so into this dark world, the Savior has come, the way of salvation. He who causes the nation to be multiplied, he who increases its joy, he has come into the world as the way of salvation. He has brought light Into this dark world. And we celebrate that. And we have joy over that. That even with the condition of the world being what it is. Christ has come. The light of the world has come. And that brings us joy at Christmas. Because we know that the darkness cannot overcome this light. The gloom makes the light all that much brighter, the gloom of this world, the gloom of our depression or those times when we are down, remind us of the hope of the gospel in the way of salvation. When we're feeling that gloom closing in on us, we can look to Jesus and look to the light. Jesus is sufficient for our joy. When, and by that I mean, when our desires which we certainly believe are the most important thing when Jesus is more important than our desires it is then that he is most sufficient for us that he would get the glory so when our desires take a backseat to God's kingdom and to Jesus's glory it is then we are satisfied most in him and we see him as most sufficient And so we have joy because of the light, the way of salvation. Jesus has come into the world. Well, how else do we have joy? Do you need to go buy some paint or some houseplants? How else do we have joy? We have joy not only because of the light that has come into the world, but we have joy because of the victory that we have. The victory we have in Jesus. This is seen at the end of verse 3. The second half of verse 3 and verse 4. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, the rejoicing here is described as with joy at the harvest. Again, this is kind of lost on us. I can think of two everyday occurrences for us that might be like joy at the harvest. It's lost on us because We don't live in an agrarian society anymore. But to think for a moment, if you lived back then, your whole livelihood and existence would have been out in a field, and you would have been depending on it, and it would have been subject to any amount of roving bands of raiders who would come in and steal your crops, or predators who would come in, or locusts, or bad weather all of these things could have destroyed your harvest and as a result and the hardest thing about the harvest being destroyed at harvest is you've done all the work you've done all the work but gather and then it could be destroyed so joy there was much joy at the harvest because it meant security it meant existence could carry on And so joy at the harvest, glad when they divide the spoil. In ancient warfare, if you won, you got the other guy's stuff. And so there was great joy in the victory because there was a scarcity at that time, and so you got their goods. Now, the two ways I can think we celebrate this every day is when you go to HEB, and they have what you want, and it's not too busy, you come out of there you're pretty joyful that's a little picture of course your life doesn't depend on that and you could maybe go to a different store but that's joy at the harvest the other way so joy at the harvest every day is experienced when we go and we shop and we get what we need and it's not too busy joy at the harvest is also if you're a hunter Ooh, i'm bringing up hunting if you're a hunter you have joy at the harvest when you harvest that trophy buck there is joy because you know you can put meat on the table you can feed your family and there is much joy so the joy comes from the victory and victory is seen here in the harvest victory is seen militarily in the provision of the spoil that uh, would happen after a military victory joy is also seen in verse 4 in liberation look at verse 4 with me for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken so we have three things that are point to the domination of one nation over another when that military victory is won by one nation over another they can put the yoke. They can put the population to slavery. They can enforce that with the staff or the rod of his oppressor. And so liberation comes through victory. And the victory is described here at the end of verse 4. You have broken. You have broken the rod, the staff, the yoke, the things that are emblematic of the oppression. You have been liberated from and what is that liberation described as do you see it at the end of verse 4 as on the day of midian as on the day of midian now we need to be reminded of of that day but ancient israel would have known and would have remembered it was part of their cultural history the day of midian that's in judges chapter 7 and do you remember with gideon he goes to fight the midianites And he has an army of 32,000 people. And God uses a tactic never seen in the military before. What does God do? He says to Gideon, your army's too big. I'm going to give you victory, but I'm not going to do it with 32,000 soldiers. And the first thing he does is he says, tell everyone who is scared to go home. 22,000 people leave the army that day not a good recruiting tool if you want to win a military victory everybody who's afraid go home 22,000 soldiers go home 10,000 remain this is God giving the victory as on the day of Midian and then what happened God said it's still too many take them down to the water and make a distinction in the way that they drink those who lap in other words those who in a very undignified manner in the ancient world, would have collapsed to the side of the river and just sort of slurped it up. Those people keep, and those people who sort of, in a dignified way, scoop up the water and drink this way, send them home, send them home. And from that, 300 people remain. Now, the ones who remain, now I am interpreting this. There's nothing that necessarily would give this away in the text. So this is, this is an interpretation. The ones who lap, the ones who collapse on the side of the river and drink, that's an undignified way to drink. And it also may be those who are most exhausted already. Because if you're exhausted you don't care you're not you're not doing this little thing it's the modern equivalent of you put your mouth on the little faucet and you touch it on the water fountain because you're so thirsty doesn't that gross you out in the time of covid that's what the 300 did those are the ones God chose to give victory at Midian. And so, the ones he chose, and this is told in Judges chapter 7, as I mentioned, the day of Midian, God giving victory through the undignified and through the outnumbered and through the low and the exhausted. That's who God gives victory through. And so, when we read that the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. We understand that God uses different tactics to bring victory, doesn't he? And he gives that victory to those of us who are undignified, those of us who are so thirsty, we're just lapping up, we're so exhausted. He gives the victory in and through us. And it is a victory, which is very strange, is it not? Paul called it scandalous. It's a victory where life is given through death, where a cross, an instrument of execution, becomes a source of life through this reversal. This is how God gives liberation. And for that reason, we together are joyful, that he brings the victory, that the likes of us are included in this victory. And we read in 1 John 4, 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is greater is is in you than he who is in the world. You know, why do we as Christians panic that we are outnumbered, that we are outgunned? That we are excluded from the halls of influence in our culture why do we panic that we are disenfranchised from the halls of power or excluded or surrounded if god is going to give the victory as on the day of midian these are the very things which must happen for his victory to come and so it shouldn't be a cause for us to be gloomy to be hopeless, to be depressed. Instead, this is God's way, his scandalous way of bringing the victory to us. And so for that reason, we have joy. We have joy because of this spiritual military victory that God gives to the least of us through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen then, so far, we can have joy because the light is coming to the world, the way of salvation. We can have joy as well because of the victory, the liberation we have from our sin, from our enemies, through Christ. And the third reason we can have joy and see our joy restored and refreshed is because of the peace we have as a result of the military victory that has been brought to god's people look in verse five every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire in other words the victory is so total and the peace so complete that all the weapons of warfare can be done away with. The vestiges of warfare can be burned in the campfire because they're not needed anymore. And those reminders of that warfare and that pain are destroyed and part of the redemptive picture of how the gospel redeems not just our present and our future, but our past as well. A more prominent passage, if you That communicates the same thing if you turn over to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4, you get the same vision of peace in Isaiah 2 4 that has to do with the destruction of the implements of warfare. Isaiah 2 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes For many peoples and what will happen as a result of this they shall beat their swords into plowshares their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore why is that because peace has come peace through the savior remember several times i've told you that christianity is not just about being forgiven But instead, it is about justification, being declared righteous, reconciled to God. That means that for the Christian, those who are found in Christ, we are at peace with God. We're reconciled with Him. You may say to yourself, I I don't have anything against God. You might not, but He has something against you because all of us have sinned. None of us stack up to His perfect ways. And as a result, we're at enmity with God. However, Christ has come, and he has brought peace through his reconciling power, satisfying God's perfect standard, receiving the judgment that was due to us for sin, and he has brought peace. He has brought peace through the cross. Now, you notice something about worship in the Protestant church is jesus is no longer on the cross and that's important because we understand that this complete total spiritual victory that god has brought through christ and the reconciling power of jesus which brings us this lasting peace all of that has been accomplished through his life his death his resurrection. So Jesus does not need to be crucified again. His sacrifice was once and for all, and the Protestant empty cross points to this total victory, such that the implements of warfare can be done away with because we will never go to spiritual war with God again. He has reconciled us through and that's good news for us strugglers that we can have joy because christ has brought this peace to us through the cross i want you to have a joy-filled christmas uh, this christmas season how's that going to happen how's that going to happen it's not going to happen because you go out and buy a bunch of house plants or you clear your mind or you try to start up conversations with strangers or you just try to be kind to people no instead i wish it were that easy instead the gloom of this world is dispelled only because the great light jesus christ has come to have joy then to have your joy refreshed and renewed means that we look for that joy in our salvation, Christ's victory that He won for us, and as a result of His coming in that victory He won, finally we have peace with God and we are reconciled with Him. To have this joy should be and is every christian's experience whether we believe our faith is weak or not faith gives us the victory and the peace of the light of the world who has come let's pray together lord how we thank you for the gift of joy how we thank you that you brought christ into this world to defeat sin and death and that you will triumph over all your enemies we rejoice in that and we pray that that victory we would be reminded of that and we would be able to experience the joy that you would dispel the gloom that we have in our life because we focus too much on what's going on in this world or the situation that we're in that instead we would focus on the situation we're in because of the victory of jesus christ and the peace that he has brought to us because we are declared righteous and reconciled with you we pray that Such joy would be ours today and always, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.